Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, kids. Happy Monday to you. I am me. You are you. Whoa. Right off the cliff there. Uh, How are you? You good? Thanks for being here. Um, We've got quite the show for you today. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, Of course, reminder that we are uh, broadcasting live from Tree 7 Territory, and we are an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome here. Glad you could be with us. Uh, We have a little space today, so I have said to Jack, um, we don't normally, uh, it's not my thing. It's more of the barn burner thing and, and other programs things, but, uh, feel free to throw some comments in the old chat room and Jack will grab them today. We've got a little bit of space. Um, it's a spectacular show. I would sell it as nothing other than that. Uh, one that we've never done before. And by that, I mean, ah, it's a little, uh, well, you know, it was a busy weekend. How was your weekend? You good? Um, Congratulations. Speaking of weekends, congratulations. Who had a better weekend than Ken Duke, who finished 14 under at the Shaw Charity Classic? And what a uh, what a tournament this has turned into be. Now, um, as I've said before on many occasions, uh, golf and I many years ago chose to uh, see other sports. And, and we're good with that. We're amicable. But even I, even I stop and doff my hat to the Shaw Charity Classic. Um, I I don't know what I was paying attention to or wasn't paying attention to. I didn't realize it. Jack, is this does this surprise you? The total purse for this event, $2.4 million. That is surprising. Isn't it? I didn't think I, it was I, that big. I didn't think it was that big either. So that's that's significant. And I think on the uh on this tour. Uh, which used to be the seniors tour, which is now champions tour. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I believe this is becoming one of the single biggest events. Now uh, the golf part aside, um, and they do a great job uh, at Canyon Meadows. Uh, th- this has become a, a must see event, a must attend event. Uh, I would suggest for a certain segment of the population, maybe even more so than the Calgary stampede but certainly getting to have that kind of aura to it. Um, But what the PGA and and others 
you know, the champions tour and the golfers themselves all really resonates. And what I like to think is a Calgary thing is uh, put this one up, how much this particular tournament has put back into our community, $93 million in 11 years. And I'm, Again, I try my best to keep you abreast of the things that I'm affiliated with and where my biases might come. So Kids Sport uh, has been a partner in this. The uh, Sports Bank has been part of this. I believe Heroes has been part of the matching grants. Um, but so many uh, really great charities. And uh, they continue to find unique ways. They had a great tournament, a mini tournament within a tournament uh, with hockey greats, the shootout on Saturday. And uh, thousands and thousands of dollars went back into the community with that. Um, weather was okay, uh, but they had a nice chase. Uh, Ken won it on the 18th hole. Uh, from a golfing perspective, uh, here's a guy that won once. I believe he won once on the uh, uh, on the PGA Tour. This is his first PGA Championship Tour win, but he's a guy that started his career in Canada many, many years ago. So uh, I love those stories. I, I love the guys that, you know, played on the, the the mini tours and the or not the mini tours but the the sub tours uh you know the uh, you know the rbc tour and whatever it was at the time to get your your get your tour card and, and become a pga professional um note too that lots of volunteers go into this so the organizing committee definitely want to doth our cap to them and and congratulate them on that um also though uh shout out to a friend of the program chris dornan uh, Chris, who does an outstanding job on the communication side of things, who handles this particular, this is one of his clients. Um, this event has become, even last week, they do the media evening uh, driving event, which um, Chris mistakenly invited me to. And I said, no, no, I, I think you should have people who can actually hit the ball there, Chris. And he agreed. And they did. And it, it's fantastic. It's an excellent event. Um, but I just love, I mean, I remember being there the first couple of years. And here we are 11, 12 years later, and this thing has, has become a juggernaut. It's, you get to see many of the greats of the game. Um, it's a competitive tournament. It gives back in, in a crazy way that, that other tournaments don't give back. Um, yeah, just love it. So a tip of the hat. Uh, Shaw Charity Classic, and I believe it's now, is it powered by Rogers? How's that? If we figured that part out? So Rogers bought Shaw, and now they... I just saw the red splash on all the blue logos. So again, you know, two telecoms, and I guess they're going to own everything, including this tournament. So congratulations there. A uh, couple of things. Uh, have you been paying attention to uh, Live from 55 uh, with Danny Austin? Uh, it's our CFL program here on the Nation Network. Another week in the books in the CFL. Things in some places starting to thicken up a little bit. Saskatchewan winning at home over BC last night. So the riders all of a sudden find themselves back at 500. Um, Ottawa loses a wacky one to Montreal. They have the same record as the Stampeders right now. And I go all the way back to Thursday. And the Eskimos uh, knocking off Hamilton in Hamilton. Lots of quarterback injuries. Um, oh, did I miss one score? That's right. Winnipeg 19, Calgary 18. Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly when the last time was that the Stampeders scored an offensive touchdown. Having said that, the defense is not giving up a lot of offensive touchdowns either. Uh, Rennie Paradis is doing the best that he can in all of this. 
Uh, it's a little bit much to put uh, the fate of your team on the back of your kicker every game. Um, I take my cues from Danny Austin, the host of Live from 55, um, because he's much closer to it. He's going to the practices. I don't go to the practices anymore. I am not as close to it as I used to be. I, I do know that in my formative years, we always considered the CFL a quarterback's league. Uh, as long as I've always been around it, the quarterback has always been rightfully or wrongfully the single most important player on the team. I do know that before we start criticizing Jake, that the um, Stampeders lead the league in drop balls, drop passes. Um, you take a look at the standings right now. The Stamps find themselves on the outside looking in at three and seven. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, um, I don't see how that's improving. Uh, might be the old West or East crossover into the West, which you don't often see. The strength of this league right now, um, uh, I think it swings back. I know we were talking about it earlier in the season, maybe being out East, but you've got the Bombers at eight and two and the Lions at seven and three. Argonauts are seven and one. Alouettes are six and three. I guess the strength is back in the West, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could have a scenario in which there's a crossover from the East into the West. Um, Again, don't wish to be an alarmist. Don't wish to be a fair weather fan. Don't wish to be all of those sort of things. But this Labor Day feels different. This Labor Day, for the first time in a long time, and, I, and, and I'm probably wrong on this, but I'm going to go 2004 as the last time that these Eskimos came in as the prohibitive favorites. But Rob, the Stampeders have two more... Touch, uh, two more wins than the Eskimos. Yeah, but the Eskimos are scoring right now, and they made a change in quarterback, and it's working. And uh, here we are dumping on Jake Mayer again, I guess. Um, but the Stampeders just don't look like a credible offense at this point. Um, there's pieces there. But I, I'm thinking this Labor Day might be one of the first times in decades that we've seen possibly go the other way. I hope not. I hope for the Red and Whites. Um, sake and its fan base's sake and our city's sake and good lord knows we don't need no those guys up in edmonton having anything on anybody down here but uh and i hope you know maybe i'm going to be wrong and maybe this is going to be just the tonic the stamp eaters need but sure seems like it and i know the stamps have a game between now and then and and all of that i get that part but we're only a couple weeks away from labor day which used to be you know the single most important i love the story about um ron rook a friend of the program friend of mine uh, long time communications guru for the Stampeders. And, um, when Doug Flutie won his, his, uh, his gray cup in Calgary, uh, they still had some cancellations. So out of just out of curiosity, they called the people who canceled their season tickets after this, you know, Doug Flutie led the stamps to his gray cup championship. And they said, you know, what's, what's why you lost Labor Day. But we won the Grey Cup. Doesn't matter. You lost Labor Day. For some, some Stampeder fans, that's the be-all, end-all. So, um, And let's talk about Stampeder fans right now. It's not a good look. Building is not full. It's hard to get people to the games. Um, it's not a Calgary-only problem. We can talk about Edmonton as well. This is you know, far from the, the greatest season in the history of the, the, the vaunted elk, Elks history. Um, but we got a problem. Houston, we got a problem. We are not putting people into the building at the same rate we used to put the build people in the building. So to me, and we asked this question before, 
are we trying to put too many into the building? Are we better to maybe make smaller facilities and, and, and try to jam out smaller buildings or would you still need to try and chase the 28 to 33 to 35,000 crowds? Are we going to get people to support this league in the way it used to this league? Its biggest strength is its history. This league's biggest weakness is its history because we spend way too much time worrying about its history and what it used to do and why and why it's not doing that anymore. We don't spend enough time talking about how do we create new fans. We always talk about creating new fans, but we never create new fans. And I shouldn't say never. That's not fair. I know season ticket holders that bring kids, and I, I get that part. Um, and I, I've got a, I got a ton of time for Jay or me, uh, Jay McNeil right now and the work that he's doing over there. He's been, he's been given a real tough one. That building sucks. The facilities suck. Um, they have, uh, CSEC has in, invested more money in lipstick for pigs than any other company that I know. Uh, it's a terrible building. It's a terrible place to watch a football game, all of those sort of things, just because of the amenities, the washrooms, and all of those sort of things. I get that. I understand that. See nothing on the horizon that's going to change that. So I don't know how you change this conversation. And I want to change this conversation. I want to talk about, I want Jake Mayer in this studio. And I want you to know him like you used to know Henry Burris, like you used to know uh, Dave Dickinson, like you used to know Bo Levi Mitchell, like used to be able to go, I know him. But unfortunately, the circles that I run right now, name me five Stampeders and they can't do it. And they can't do it. And there's lots of blame to go around and there's lots of fingers to go around. Hell, I'll do this. I'll take some blame. I'll absolutely take some blame. You want me to bring more Stampeder fans on here? Absolutely. Or Stampeder fans. Stampeders on here? Absolutely. I, you know, I've given that spot up to Danny because why would I fight with Danny? Look at, look at the guests that Danny has on live from 55. So, anywho, uh, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm out of ideas. I'm out of ideas. I'm an ideas guy that's out of ideas. I have never, ever been tasked with working with the Stampeders. I won't try to pretend I have. I have been early on. I went and helped out because that was the uh, early um, adoption of digital ticketing or, or whatever you want, online ticketing. So I wanted to get a handle on that. So I did work post-COVID some Stampeders games. And I do know who the fans are. And I do get it, um, but there's not enough of you. And we need to get more, and I don't know how to do that, or we need to decide we don't want more. We're just going to, you know, solidify around the people we have. Um, but to me, if I'm Jay McNeil, and the last thing on earth Jay McNeil is doing is, geez, I wonder what Rob thinks today. Um, beware of apathy. Apathy is death. Apathy is absolutely death. When people stop caring, they stop spending, they stop watching, they stop talking, they stop, uh, all of the stops happen. And that's death. And as I said before, I sat out the XFL conversation. You know, The Rock bought the XFL and the, and the league was talking to the XFL. I sat that conversation out. I was working for CSEC, so... I didn't have a voice, didn't have a horse, didn't have nothing. But I watched a whole bunch 
of so-called media experts or so-called CFL experts crap all over it, not talking out of their rears. They didn't know what they were talking about. They were assuming, and they know who they are. They're former voices of teams and they're the, you know, the so-called guardians of the game. And, and they're the ones that talk to the true fans and blah, 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 blah. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. God bless you. You should have seen how far that, and I get, and listen, I don't think there's a bigger critic of the CFL's business handling than Arash Madani, my former friend, my former friend, my friend, my former colleague at Sportsnet, my friend Arash Madani, one of the true last great sports reporters that can t- that can cover every sport. He's, I believe, he's on his way to the uh, to the uh, Asia to cover uh, FIBA basketball in Canada. There. We'll go all over the world to cover tennis. We'll do the, I believe his heart of hearts is CFL still. He worked for CFL teams and he, he holds absolutely the CFL and it's commissioner Randy Ambrosi's feet to the fire on everything. Uh, but I thought there was way too much tribalism about the XFL, that conversation. There's way too much concern about international players. We sit here and, and, and we have always looked at this league and go, what are they doing to expand? So then they do this. What are they, what do they call this anyway? The, 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 they bring in the, you know, the international players, the the Swedes and the Brits and the German players and the Japanese players and all of that. And then we all get all, all fired up. Well, why should we do we? Uh, yes, we should probably care more about football in Canada. But this goes back to another conversation we just had. Who did we just have this conversation? Oh, Labardius on Friday. You sports. You sports. Oh, I'm a big Canadian football fan. You are? You support you sport team? And <laughs> junior teams? NFL's good, man. It's slick, man. It's awesome. It's easy. It's got many entry points. It's got many places for you to jump off. Take what you need. Get in once a week, just like the CFL. But there's big names and it's glossy and they're the best athletes and they're the best and the best and the best. And it's the 800-pound gorilla in North American sports, if not 800-pound gorilla in world sports, professional sports, the NFL. And at some point, you know, it just blossomed. It's always been a big league, but I would say since the advent of fantasy football three decades ago, two decades ago, whatever you want to say, and now with the advent of sports gambling, it's uncontrolled. It's just the, the 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 popularity, the 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 uh, the adoption rates, all of those sort of things are uncontrolled for this, the NFL, and the CFL still struggles, uh, still struggles. Um, let's leave that because I'm feeling depressed, and it's a Monday. We should feel better about ourselves, shouldn't we? We should be excited. We are mere weeks away from the start of a new National Hockey League season, a new Western Hockey League season, a new youth hockey season. Nobody calls it youth hockey except me, I guess. Um, But we are, dare I be that one candle in a window, be I that lone voice in the wilderness, that, that, that voice that you hear in the wind. Don't get caught up in pre- training camp blah blah right now i hated this time of year on radio because it's you know the nfl's not quite started major league baseball's beginning to thin out and for many years the jays weren't you know the expos weren't around and the jays were no longer a factor 
And then players would start coming back and then we'd hunt them down. Where are they? Let's go talk to them. Where are they? They're training over at Father David Bauer. Let's go talk to them. How is your off season? Great. Okay. Well, in two weeks when camp opens, what are we going to ask them? How is your off season? Oh, great. So let's not get too fired up about um, the, the, the hockey and the local hockey heroes. I, I would, I'm not really supposed to say bad things about stuff. So I'm trying to be nice here. Ryan, write a couple of positive stories, will you? Like, you're going to Flames Nation right now. Flames shouldn't give Elias Lindholm. Yeah, okay, cool. Somebody write the story about why the Flames should give Elias Lindholm a contract. Does anybody want to try that one? Oh, Roman Horat. I saw that one today. Roman Horat. He was the big pro. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get that part. Not everything works out. Give some people some optimism. Give some people a reason to be excited. I I, I don't care. Just just an observation but don't let's not get all caught up in the weeds here for the next three weeks till these guys get to training camp and can we because i didn't get to do this i haven't gotten to do this in since 2018 so five years ago nope didn't i haven't been able to do this since 2017 can we please hit oh oh you you know you you call out ryan pike and what does ryan pike do he shows up you don't you don't just Screw with Ryan Pike. I called him out, and what did he say? That's coming later this week, Rob. Smiley face. So, see? Why am I complaining about nothing? Thank you, Ryan. Now go back and, and leave me alone because I'm leaving you alone. You do so much for me, and I try to leave you alone in the summertime, and then I call you out and you're listening. God bless you, Ryan. Um, so, anyway, positive stories are coming. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's, that's, you know. That's how we roll around here. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, the Blue Jays, only for the reason that uh, they've been securely in a wild card spot. They are no longer in such. Uh, they are a half game back of Seattle. Uh, they're off today, sixty nine and fifty six, respectable, very respectable. Um, but in Baltimore tomorrow to start a very big series, uh, Vladdy Guerrero. It's getting weird in sports, isn't it? He left with middle left finger discomfort. L middle finger discomfort. I've had middle finger discomfort before. I Driving, I get middle finger discomfort all the time. You kind of work on those tendons. Um, anywho, I just wanted to bring that up. We'll probably check in on the uh, Jays as they get closer. Uh, Tommy Wielden Jr., if only somebody was going to talk to him this week at some point on a show on the Nation Network, maybe. Tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. Thank you. Uh, the Cavalry, with a big win at home over York, 2-1 in a physical match. That means that the Cavalry now sit atop of the table, atop of the table with 33 points, a league-best 33 goals scored, which is interesting to me because that team struggled to score goals early. And found ways to get draws, and gets but just couldn't get the wins. So, watch it, uh, Barnburner tomorrow. Yep, yep. Barnburner tomorrow. Yep. Okay, Tommy Wielden Jr. Or as as you like to call him, the Gaffer. The Gaffer is on. Um, this is our um, what do we, what do we call this show? This is not the Rob forgot to book a guest spectacular. Nope. That's not this. This is a complete surprise show for us. So we just sent out surprise. Who's going to come on? 
what story can they tell? Well, we're going to start with a surprise and also feel free. We got some comments. Do we have some comments? Do we need? Yeah, we got a couple. Okay. So we'll get to those. If uh, Feel free to drop a comment in there. Uh, we'll answer some of your questions because I never do that. Uh, I feel guilty sometimes about that, but then I listen to the comments that are left for Rhett and I can't answer those. And some of the things that Boomer gets into, that's not me. So if you've got some in, you know, my realm, which is, you know, very kind of, yeah. Anyway, fire them into the comments and Jack will ask them here in a little while. Uh, we do have a guest brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. By the way, Ski Seller Snowboard, three locations are opening up August 29th. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's, uh, bottom of Windsport. So that's all coming up next week on Tuesday, the 29th. Their Labor Day sale starts the 29th through September 4th. So get an early run in here. Get on it. If you want your skis, your snowboards, um, get on there. Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Stores are opening next Tuesday. Very pleased to have join his dear friend of the program, one of the true greats in all of hockey. Uh, he is the executive director of uh, Hero Hockey. Fresh back, fresh back from Northern Ireland. The hockey hotbed of Northern Ireland. Hotbed of Northern Ireland. Now, when did you get back? Like, I thought you were getting back. Or, did you get back today and haven't gone to sleep yet? Is that how this is? No, I got back uh, last night and I slept lots. So I'm good. You're good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Um, I suspect a number of your listeners are going, that's the best you could do for a guest. No, no, no. It's a spectacular. Uh, it's a, it's a big show today. There we it's go. A big good. show. It involves me answering questions at some point. Uh, but right now you have, have questions for you. Can I ask you a question? Yes, you can ask me a question. Sure. <laughs> no, it's... no, I do that lots. Okay. Let me ask you this. Why the hell were you in, in Northern Ireland? Well, that's a long answer to a short question. Um, I think lots of people, well, I, I, I always make the assumption lots of people are familiar, but maybe they're not. Um, but, you know, the historical troubles in Northern Ireland around whether you are, you know, what your faith is, and essentially it boils down to in simple terms, are you Protestant? Are you Catholic? Are you British? Are you English? Um, has led to many long periods of, of violence and lots of periods. They call them the troubles, you know, sort of in that yep. typical, um, you know, uh, British way. They sort of understate it. I mean, these troubles were, you know, periods of really terrible violence and terrible things that humans perpetrated on humans and all those sorts of things. And I think on our end, and certainly I remember being, it's you know, you know, being a young adult, you you heard about the Good Friday Accord in 1999. You go, oh well, that must mean it's all over. No, it doesn't mean it's all over. It's happening in, you know, it's still happening regionally. It's still happening on street corners, and it's still framing how people view people. Not everybody, but enough people that it's a problem. And so, about 15 years ago, through a series of really bizarre circumstances, we were presented with the opportunity to bring ice hockey which is a completely neutral sport to a place and, and use it as a launch pad and a bridge to bring kids from these different backgrounds, different neighborhoods. And when I say different neighborhoods, it might mean Rob, that you can look out your back window and see the houses behind it. And those people come from a very different background than you and you are in direct conflict with them. Right. But yet you live that close to each other. Um, find a way, a neutral activity to bring them together. The great thing about ice hockey is nobody plays it over there. You know, it's a very, very small. So it's brand new to all these kids. They have a pro team, though. Did you? Or, have a pro that team? was right. Belfast has a pro team. Yeah, we can talk about the Giants because they're fantastic. But 
Um, it's not a sport kids grow up yep. learning play, aspiring to play, even knowing about there's one rink in the whole country. So unless you live near it, you're not even, you're not seeing ice and you're not seeing skates. So when you're doing something as difficult as learning to play, you forget that the person who's helping you up might be somebody that a week ago was trying to help you fall. If that makes sense. Yep. And, yep. and so we, we just, we were invited to try it for a year and 15 years later, we're still, we're still at it, still doing it and uh, continually reminded about how important it is that you give young people an avenue and a space to be heard and a place to find, find other, other youth. And the part I didn't expect is to, is that you get to see what hockey can be. There is no history of girls don't play. There is no history of discrimination based on um, the color of your skin or the culture you speak. Like hockey has never kept anybody out because they need everybody who wants to play it in. So it also gives you a little inspiration when you come back here and we deal with all the institutional nonsense and yep. all the other created barriers people have. You see what it actually can be in sort of a kind of a it's kind of that reverse compliment kind of way you can see what it can be you're just it's reflected in a country that hardly ever plays it right so the kids that you're working with kevin how do you get them who brings them to you where do they come from so we partner with uh, several um, community service organizations throughout ireland northern ireland and scotland um and so the, the kids come from six different distinct communities throughout Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. Um, and th those community service groups identify the kids that are vulnerable to being engaged in, in, you know, what we would call, you know, the, the negative behavior. So th these are anybody who's watched the movie um, snatch, you know, Brad Pitt years and years ago, it's set in a, in an area called Finglas in Dublin which is an incredibly difficult area for young people to grow up in. It's a culture within a culture. It is the people from there are, are intensely proud. It kind of reminds me of the people that drive around here with, I love bone S bumper stickers are yep. proud to be for bone S, yep. but there's intense challenges in those communities, intense barriers, and it can be really hard for those kids. And so it's those kinds of neighborhoods, but, but those vulnerable neighborhoods are also the ones that are most apt to be drawn in to kind of this stuff but they're also on the receiving end of a lot of discrimination. You know, people in Dublin don't have a, and again, I'm making a general statement. There's a lot of great people in Dublin, but yep. the people from Finglas are not well-regarded in Dublin, for example. So when you are marginalized that way and told you're terrible, then you find places to go be terrible. Right. And so that's how they get sucked into some of this conflict stuff and all that. So, so we've got two different areas in, in the in the Republic of Ireland that they come from, which, People need to understand Ireland is not this. Ireland is Ireland and Northern Ireland, two distinct countries and, and don't confuse those um, because when you get into Northern Ireland, then you're dealing with people from neighborhoods and streets that are Irish and identify that and, and want a, a united Ireland. And they perceive that their land is being occupied for lack of a better term by the British. And then you have the British populations, which, which perceive that you're not loyal to the flag and to the crown there's you know and some of this is antiquated language but they talk about loyalists and republicans and all this kind of stuff yep, yep. and that's the root of the conflict but then we also have players that come from different areas in scotland um, because that protestant catholic stuff is very real there we, we often only think of it in northern ireland but it's very real there but the other issue they have there we're working with kids from smaller centers where there's large military presences and often Newcomers and refugees find themselves in those towns because housing is more affordable, but they find themselves in conflict with, 
with the locals as well. So, um, yeah, they come from all over. They start in their home communities doing stuff, learning about the humanity and others, um, conflict resolution, building healthy relationships, all that kind of stuff. And it culminates in, in this camp we do in August where the kids come together and stay together for five days, run the ice twice a day, but we do a ton of other activities with them as well. It's multi-sport, multi, multi-disciplinary, multi-multi-everything. Yeah. And it's the end of their process and the end of their eight months together, which for us is really exciting because it's the kickoff. I come back here and now I'm literally two weeks away from putting kids on the ice here. So their end is our beginning. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, lot, it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of work, but it's really special and really important as well. Is there hockey in their programming prior to this, or is this kind of the building at, at the end, they know they're going to come and, and try hockey? Yeah. So our kids from Ireland, um, if they've heard of hockey, there's no rinks in the country of Ireland. They're the only, they're the only country in the double IHF to not have a rink and they're at risk of losing the double IHF status, except they win so much in their division. They, you know, the ones that are just below them, they beat up on all the time on the scoreboard. Right. So um, in Northern Ireland, there's one rink, the one where we run out of, um, and the kids might have done public skating. It's a massive revenue generator for that facility, but it's also very expensive. Kids that we work with are not peeling off money for activities. That's not their family scenario. Um, in Scotland, they're a little bit more apt to have seen it because Scotland's very, hockey's very popular in Scotland, and there's lots of pro teams there, Dundee, Fife, you know, Edinburgh, that kind of stuff. So they might have seen it a little bit, but we rarely, we rarely encounter players. Well, we, we've had one player over the 15 years that have played hockey before they came. Mm. We have a handful that have tried skating, but for the most part, it's all, it's all brand new. But tell me, you mentioned the, the Belfast Giants. Tell me about their relationship with the program and how they help. Yeah, they're, you know, this is where you see kind of that, you know, when we talk about the good side of the hockey community and hockey guys are good guys, this is where you see it because most of that team is North Americans, right? Yep. Most of them, um, you know, last year there was a lot of Western Canadians. This year there seem to be more Eastern Canadians, but they are sort of the model front franchise in their league, the elite league, and uh, which is kind of East Coast hockey league caliber. And uh, so they have a lot of turnover of players and all that. And they get used to be they just got NHLers on their way out of the game, mm. but they've got guys that are still climbing the ladder to other leagues in Europe and stuff. But um, they're fantastic, but they, when their arena that they play games out of called the, which is called the Odyssey. And they really get to use it for games in the odd practice because there's so many concerts at it. It's, it's an event center. Yeah. It looks a lot like the Centrium in Red Deer, to be honest with you. Um, they skate at this Dundonald, which is where we run our program. And, and I, it, it's always, it always strikes me because this is an old rink. It doesn't look anything like what we do. If you're a guy going for your first taste of pro hockey and you walk into Dundonald, you know, they get guys that have played NCAA the facilities are a massive step down, but um, these guys come in and see us playing there and they hear coaches on the ice that sound like them. And they're instantly drawn to our Canadian coaches because we bring our volunteers over to do this. So they jump on the ice and play with us. Adam Keefe, who's the coach there, Sheldon Keefe's brother, um, you know, is, who I've been told by players who played for him was the best leader they ever played for in hockey as a captain. He does leadership sessions with our older, like our peer mentor kids. Um, kids go to their games during the year and stuff like that. So they have really kind of, they figured it out that they're not just trying to grow fans they're trying to grow the game and they're trying to help people understand, you know, the role that hockey can have in young people's lives as well. So if this is just kind of a one-off, where does the equipment come? Cause it's full gear for these kids, right? Yeah. So this was, this was the first year I didn't fly with five bags of gear. 
to replace stuff that was broken down. We're so we were very lucky last year. The NHLPA kind of updated our inventory with 25 cents of new gear. Wow. Um, but we've we've you know we've hit up airlines to ship stuff over. If you told me you were going on holidays over to England, you could bet I'm sending you with a bag of stuff over, and I'll arrange for the, somebody to ship it from England. However, we can get gear there, but there is nowhere in Ireland or Northern Ireland to go to a store and buy stuff. So I'm taking sock tape over. I'm taking stick tape. I'm taking laces. When I go, everything gets ordered in. Um, so if, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And to make sure you can put 45 kids on the ice, you got to have the equivalent of 65 sets. Yep. Uh, just to make sure you have all the sizes. And then, of course, there's only a handful of people in Northern Ireland who know how to sharpen skates. So our guy starts in March or April because he's he's the only guy that you know that could do it. it. Takes a long time when you're sharpening 50 pairs of skates. So it's uh it's it's a work it's an effort it's uh you know but uh but it's it's totally worth it too and again it's reinforced because you see the growth in the kids but you also get to see what hockey can be as well and it gives me a lot of juice to come back so so what are i mean obviously the outcomes are what the outcomes are right they you know you're not creating hockey players you're just using it as a tool to to bring communities together um what how, what's the growth potential for this what's the the long-term future of this where does this fit moving forward so i'll give you i'll give you an example this year that that reinforced why we do it so you're right the, the 99 percent of our kids are never going to play hockey again after after they're with us not play sorry i have to just will not play ice hockey hockey when you say the word hockey there they talk about field hockey yes we'll not right. play ice hockey again you're absolutely right the, the 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 payoffs are all off the ice. So what we know is these kids are staying in touch with each other. These kids are communicating. On, and the, the the thing that started this for us was a, a thing on 60 Minutes almost 20 years ago about a former Irish guy who came to America, worked as a police officer in the city of New York, and was bringing Irish kids from vulnerable neighborhoods over to the U.S. for a week to play baseball mm-hmm. or to have that experience. But then they went home and they never talked to each other again. And we wanted to create a space and a place where these kids would build connections and stay in contact. So the kids are staying in contact with each other. And we do so we do the odd follow-up about once a year where we bring the kids back together in an event so that they can do that. Um, but it's, you know, the core of the work that's done with these populations is around humanity. See the person across from you as a human being. See the person across from you as someone's son, someone's daughter. And these kids are leaving with a very different sense. They move a long way in the five days we've got them there. When you're, when you're breaking bread with somebody, you know, the indigenous communities teach us a lot about the value of breaking bread. Um, when, you know, we sit and we mix these kids up at meals and we talk and like every conversation is specific and thoughtful and deliberate. So they see each other as humans and as peers and as equals, which is really important. Um, you know, and they do make mistakes. <clears throat> Excuse me. This isn't a finishing school. We're getting, we're getting raw talent yep. here. We're getting vulnerable kids. So I'll give you an example this week. Early in the early in the week, a few of the boys had somewhere that, that come from Northern Ireland had had heard somewhere the derogatory terms that could be used about people in Finglas, what people in Ireland call Finglas when they want to kind of cut you know cut their spirit, and they were using them towards these kids, and they thought it was kind of all in fun the way that we might badger and I'd say oh you got a face for radio Rob yeah uh, they didn't understand the gravity of the words. But the people on the other end of it, it was gut-wrenching for them. And the adults who came with them as as chaperones had grown up in the community. So you've got people who've been here in their whole lives, essentially, that they're third-rate citizens and they don't belong. You know, they're equivalent to, 
to street animals, um, it was gut-wrenching for them. And so you have two pathways with that. You can cancel or you can counsel. And so the easy thing would have been to send the kids home. But it, we then spent a lot of time working through that so that the kids understood what those words meant, the origins of it, why it hurt, and and they and it completely changed their perception and it changed their behavior. You know, it's easy to change behavior. I can tell you don't do it. It means that you're just going to do it when I don't, when I'm not looking. Mm -hmm. Change perceptions, change understanding. You make it all go away. And I got an email from one of the kids today when I got home saying, "Thank you for taking the time to help me understand that. I believe I'll be a better person now." You know, right. and that's that's the reason why. Because if if you can if you can make them just a little bit better than than you got them and you can get them thinking a little bit about the person across from them then really they're hopefully hopefully they're less likely to engage in violence or less likely to engage in in some of those conflicts and troubles and what the people over there the elders that have been through these years of conflict they tell you is like the old the, the old guys are too entrenched in the position so they're always going to be they're always going to think the other side is terrible the guys sort of our age maybe a little bit younger they're just looking for a reason to go back to battle. And this is why, like during Brexit, people were deeply concerned over there. Like, yeah. It all leads back to that. But they believe this young generation can make change because our generation grew up believing storytellers. This generation grow, grows up saying, if I don't see it on the internet, it didn't happen. And so we can we can change perceptions and maybe we find a way to bring them back together. How has it influenced you? I mean, you, you've done this for many years now, and, and it's a short but a very intense burst, right? Yeah. You know, when you sit there, um, I remember one time we had one of our volunteers and remembered being four years old. Um, and he said, so bizarre, he remembers four years old, but being pushed by in a stroller and a bomb going off in the mailbox next to him. Right. Um, and, and you, you know, you meet people over there who lived through this and you realize how very real it is for them, but then you meet the kids and they're the same as the heroes, you know, B Dublin Mia is the same as Regina yeah. Mia. Like kids are just kids are just kids, but they all have a different story and you don't learn it unless you, you get their story. And the only way you get the story is by building up trust. And the only way you get trust from them is by building a relationship with them. It's easy for us to do it in heroes. And we talked about it on your volunteer show. Yep. We're looking for volunteers who want to invest time with these kids and build relationships. Cause then you learn all this stuff. When, when, when you've only got five days with them, you got to be genuine. You got to, you got to walk your talk. You got to lead by example. And if you do, these are kids that want to, they, they want people to learn about them. They want people to see them for more than people say they are. And it just shows you that, that, you know, leading with this first, but a touch of this as well mm -hmm. goes a long way, but it also shows you what sport does. And it actually tells you, it doesn't matter what the sport is. I'm taking a nothing sport in their eyes to a country that has no culture of it. Like we could take any sport here and do this with kids. If if kids get a chance to play, all the other stuff comes with it. Yeah. And if we're going to leave kids in their basement, if we're going to leave kids in front of computers, we can't expect different outcomes from. Them. We have to set them up for success. And this camp is is essentially a year of heroes condensed into five days because you eat every meal with them, you wake them up in the morning, you put them to bed, you talk about everything you can imagine. Like it just it. it it reminds you that everything we, we as a charity want to do is possible. It's no different than all the charities you support and are an advocate for. If we believe it, it could do it. And, and I'm surrounded by doers there. There's no talkers, right? We've talked about this before. You and I rant together all the time, like two old men yelling at the <laughs> we, <cloud>. we do. <laughs> <laughs> but social issues, whether it's, whether it's making hockey better or whether it's dealing with homelessness or dealing with the opioid issue, 
there's a there's too many people who want to sit at tables yep. and talk about this at the three thousand foot level. We hear that yep. bullshit statement all the time. Yep. Um, Sorry, Ty. Yeah, Ty, I owe you another buck. But there's not enough doers. But I believe yep. there's lots of people who want to be doers. They need a place to do it. Um, but this is a program that's all done with doers, and doers can do a lot. Talkers can't do very much. We do need some talkers. I'm, I'm not saying we don't. No, no. We, need, we yeah. need people to to research. We need people to talk about ideas. But but we we need doers, and this is a place to be around doers. I, as, I as know is heroes, as is so many yeah. charities, but but right. I really but, see but, it over there because they're also following my lead and our volunteers because. I'm asking people to volunteer around a sport they've never seen before. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I mean, you you can handpick your volunteers that you take with you, and you've got yes. you know great ones to go. Unreal. But what you inherit is interesting to me, and yeah. how they adapt to you know the heroes, you know the lessons, the creed, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it won't really show well in here, but my hands covered in blisters because, right, we're tying all of the skates for all the kids because there's nobody over there that even knows how to. Yeah, do right. They call them boots, right? They think they're yeah. right. Um, but, but, but they, so they lead for us in how, like, they've really taught me a lot about seeing other people as human beings, mm -hmm. right? You know, people, people say, oh, you're a bleeding heart social worker anyways. And, and yeah, I am. And I'm pretty proud to wear that label. But when you, when you break everything down, you know, when, when people say to me, how can you be so patient with that person or whatever? A lot of it is from being over there. Because you recognize everybody there is somebody's son or daughter. Everybody there matters to somebody, regardless of whether they're different from us. And But then when you get to a place where you see the, the racial part isn't the reason, it's the faith. You understand everybody's got a different story. But So these volunteers teach us how to decipher over there, how to decipher that. But like I've done it before where I throw a roll of hockey tape to a, and a stick to them. They don't know what to do you know they, they confuse elbow pads with jocks like it also reminds you that just because you know something doesn't mean it means anything to anybody else right so we literally the first couple of days we stand in the grass and we practice putting on our gear and we have to explain what everything's for and what the purpose is and all that right it, it forces you to break it down really simple and if you do that then the other volunteers get excited by your enthusiasm so now i've got i've got these volunteers at belfast who consider themselves hockey people even though it's only for five days a year but now they go to Giants games and now they follow it on on TV a little bit and they're starting to fall in love with the game because they see all these lessons we talk about. Like you talk about leadership and the people wear letters on their jerseys. Well, then they watch a game and they go, I see what you were talking about. I saw so-and-so right. slide right. down and get hit with a shot on purpose. That's what they, they don't call it blocking shots. It's getting hit with a shot on purpose or those cutaways on the bench. They see those things that maybe we don't see anymore. So well, it, to, they see the me, benefit of the sport, right? And to, what it to, to me, it's always the great hero's story that the clarity that comes from innocence. Yeah. You know, talk about the story about the coach in, in Edmonton who said, go stand on the red line. Yeah, right? yeah. People people have heard me say this one before. But um, early in our existence, our goal was to look for hockey guys. And when I say hockey guys, I recognize I'm leaving out the girls. This was 15 years ago when we were starting and hockey was, you know, hockey was different than our language was different yep. and I was younger. Right. Yep. But you're going, okay, this is what we need. We need hockey guys. And so we hear from this coach who had coached AAA for 20 years or whatever it was, and was ready to step away from that. And I suspect in his mind, hockey was getting too soft, you know, or whatever it was, I don't know. And so we thought this will be great. This is somebody who will know what they're doing on the ice. Keep in mind, most of our kids have never skated before. So when they hit the ice, they fall down on their knees. Like, yep. Yep. Blows the whistle, everybody to the red line. And he's standing at center ice. So 
you or I or most of your listeners, they, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. But these kids were laying on their stomachs. They were on one knee. They were standing and falling, but they were all over the ice. They had one common thing and one thing in common. They were all standing on a red line. Yep. They just weren't standing on the red line he wanted. And he looked at me and goes, I don't think this is going to work. They're not good listeners. And I said, I think they're listening really well. They went exactly where you told them. And he kind of looked at me and he said, I don't think it's going to work. I said, you're probably right. And, <laughs> and and that was it. And it's just it just meant we weren't the right fit for him. But it's it's that reminder that, you know, we talk, people listen, but what they hear isn't what we said. And and it's inherent on us. Organizations like ours have to be really good listeners. And and that, that's all it was. It was a less fun. So it, but that moment really gave me a different clarity because now what I realized is you can teach any good person how to run an, an ice hockey drill. You can't teach a hockey person who's come up with one way of thinking that it's okay that kids are all over the ice. And so, so it really kind of, it, it was a, it was a defining moment for our organization too. Right. So it's uh, every moment's a learning moment. Every moment's a chance to grow and, and get better at what you do. Well, and, and what I, you know, the reason that, that it, it's, it speaks to me on so many levels is because it's the right things and it's done for the right reasons. Um, I'm going to force you to tell a story that will explain institutionalism versus doers. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about this week and, and what's happening this week, because uh, Heroes is, you know, I hope people appreciate, I don't know if they do, Kev, I do, but how much work that you have done behind the scenes, you know, we talk about the Willie O'Ree award, but it's more about being that voice for what hockey can be rather than what it is. Tell us a little bit about the initiative that you'll launch this week. Yeah. So people may or may not be familiar. NHL launched an initiative called NHL street 18 months ago, two years ago. And it had a really distinct purpose. It was to get, it was to really replicate, you know, the, the street culture of basketball that is so prevalent and is so You know, everybody, everybody pictures grabbing a ball and even guys like me who played basketball 10 times in my life. Remember going to sure. the court, all you need is pavement and a hoop. And, uh, and so they're trying to replicate that because I think they've, they've recognized that they've started to squeeze the lemon a little bit on how many, like, there's only so many rinks and, and so much gear you can put on people. If somebody lives where there's no rink, somebody lives where there's no rink. So they're doing this NHL street thing. And I just said to them, when you're ready to step outside of the box a little bit with how you're doing it, because it was, launched with lots of festivals, you know, city center festivals, you bring people in. And I think their hope was you'd get lots of new players and those skeptical ones of us realized they were probably going to get, you know, the, the coach of a U13 AA team who brings his whole team in their matching workout gear and they go and they win it all and they use it as dry land training and this, this stuff. Um, it, 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 I, I, I didn't see it putting sticks in the hands of the kids who really need a stick in the hand. Right. 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 And so I said to him, when you're ready and the NHL is used to me, you know, whether it's the Willie O'Ree award, whether it's being part of their hockey's for everyone, they're used to me calling going, I got an idea. Right. And so um, I said to them, so they said, okay, we're, we're ready. What do you want to do? I said, it's just this really small project where, you know, there's this first nations health consortium that represents 46 indigenous communities across the province um some of them are remote you can only get in in the summer or with a winter road you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but these are communities that have lots of them have no access to hockey at all some of them don't have any recreational opportunities at all but the other thing that i learned through you and the work you do with the health consortium is they all have these group of young leaders 
that want to give back to their community. They want to change the discourse and the conversation about who the, the, the uninformed side of our society mm -hmm. sees our indigenous communities as. And leaders can't be leaders without something to lead. And it just seemed like this is the thing to do. So, um, you know, took a little bit of cajoling, um, but the NHL said, yeah, let's give it a try. So, you know, on Thursday in St. Albert, we're, we're, you know, at the TP Summit, which is a, a major event for young Indigenous leaders across the province. We're going to be rolling out that um, street hockey, NHL, NHL street, which people say to me, well, you could have just done it. Just send sticks and a ball, just send it. But yeah. it was important to bring the NHL street brand to it because these are kids that are so disconnected from the NHL. And it's not about, can we turn them into an NHL player? What I've really learned from our superhero stuff is those that are left out really need, and you and I were joking earlier about big grand invitations. They need <laughs> a grand invitation into the game. Yeah. And the grand invitation is the one from the NHL. So we roll in with, you know, the 18 inch street hockey boards and the logoing that goes alongside it. It says the NHL wants you, the NHL values you. Or if, if all it is, is the NHL sees you, that's important. And then, and then with it comes the game of street hockey. So all 46 First Nations communities across the province will have the ability to bring this to their communities. And, you know, and the partnership with us and the First Nations Health Consortium, the NHL and other people we're bringing into it, it also means that cost won't be the barrier. And because it's got to be free for some of these communities. I mean, it does. Yep. You know, again, you and I go on these rants all the time. It was yep. through this process, I learned that the funding that our nations receive from the various levels of government, not only do they not provide dollars for recreational sport at all, but if they try to creatively divert some to it, it gets pulled back. And yep. every kid, every kid needs access to, to play and recreational sport. And, but these communities more, more than many in so many ways. And so, you know, when I said to the NHL, imagine the video you make of a set of boards leaving downtown Manhattan, NHL offices, getting on a plane to Edmonton and then a truck from Edmonton to a barge up the river to a snow machine to bring yep. them and then the kids can play. I mean, those, those are the kids we actually need in the game more than anybody. You know, those are the kids who, who have no interface at all with sport or with the game. And those are the kids that we need in the game. And uh, so it's, it's super exciting to be working with the First Nations Health Consortium. They have been such wonderful partners, such wonderful educators. They've been so open and so candid. And I think for me and our organization to be trusted by the indigenous community goes a long way. And you go back, you know, we'll circle back to the doers part of it. Yep. In my work, you go to lots of conferences about reconciliation or discussions and everybody goes, oh, gotta do better. And then you take the, you know, the, all the fancy printed documents that you've been given and you put it in the bag you've been given. And then you go to the, the reception where drinks are free for two hours and food is, and you go, I, you say to people, you make a bunch of, empty promises yep. and then you leave and you never do anything and again this is this is if if we are you know there's truth and reconciliation is multi-layered and i can't do anything about the big issues it, that that's just a reality but if i can walk side by side with communities that we're trying to build build bridges with with the indigenous communities the young people everything every big gesture starts with a small one and on the grand scheme of things this might be a a real small one, but it might be really big to those communities and to those kids. But it's a, you know, a third of the heroes kids across Canada are indigenous. This is a chance for me to show them that we walk our talk and that, that we do more than just 
just give them a place to play in the city that they live in. We're going to the communities where their ancestors came from. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're giving them the same opportunity. So we're super excited and super honored. This is one of those partnerships that you're honored to be included in um, because this isn't a, here's what we could do for you. It's a, here's what we could do together. And and I, th- I think you're downplaying one part of it because NHL Street's part of it, but allowing these kids to be, become part of the Heroes family. Talk a little yes. bit about that too. Yeah. Well, so we have a, one of our mantras in Heroes is once a hero, always a hero. And sometimes that might sound really corny, but like our founder um, was at a kid's wedding last Thursday. Um, he was in his thirties now, but had come up through our program. We hadn't heard from him in 10 years and he wanted to make sure that somebody from heroes was there because we were part of his life. And we had said to him, once a hero, always a hero. So he always identified himself me as part of this community. And for our indigenous kids, what, what I've been seeing over the years is our indigenous kids across the country, we might have them for a year or two, and then they're leaving and we find out they're moving to a remote community that they might be moving. You know, a lot of our kids say mom comes from a different nation than dad. So they're moving to live with grandma or aunt or uncle in one nation. And then they move again. And, and, that. and we, we have to remember indigenous communities, the caregiving circle is much broader than ours. Yep. So it's not unusual to go live with grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle, but we were losing these kids and, and, you know, heroes was a part of their cult, uh, part of their identity, and heroes is a culture to our kids. It's a place where you're safe, where you're accepted, where all those sorts of things happen. And so, it killed me to lose them. And so, in this way, all of these kids will become part of heroes. And so, what it means is, if you know somebody's living in a remote community up in northern Alberta, and then they're you know then for whatever reason life brings them to Calgary or Edmonton to live with Kukum. They've got a guaranteed spot into our program. And conversely, if one of our kids moves to a remote community or to a community outside of Calgary or Edmonton, they show up there. There's kids with heroes hoodies running around in their community. They feel a little bit more like they belong, but they also see us as an organization that isn't full of shit when we say 
we care about everybody who comes through us, but yeah. also we believe in the strength of community. And and same with the young people that'll be volunteers. You know, this could give them a place where they're, you know, they're they're 16, 17, 18, and they're leading a program, then they get a chance to go to university. And there's a heroes where they can come volunteer. It's an easy transition for them. And so it's 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 not about on our end building the numbers, but it's about building our community. And again, walking our talk is so important. If you're if you're a charity and you're not genuine in what you do, then then, then you're actually it, it could be more harmful yep. because you're doing it for you, not for yep. people you're trying to serve. And that's what we're doing. We're serving people. And so um, that that's really that was really important to us to the point. And of course, the health consortium was on board with this. But when we talked about the framework of our partnership, we said we want these kids and young leaders to become part of heroes, and we want your organization. Like this is about broadening our family, and if that, you know, that was a non, that was our only non-negotiable, and it was it was a no problem, right? But yep. it's it's important. Kids need to feel like they belong in many places. I think one of the conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion um, is sometimes we we silo kids, and we they then become identified. Well, you're a marginalized kid, or you're a person of color, or you're this, or you're that, and you know. Well, I've told the story before of the young indigenous person in Winnipeg. I sat with one time crying. Well, you know, we had, we had them dressed, but going on the ice, you could tell it wasn't going to happen. And I'm sitting with them. So, you know, if you're checking the, the, some of the boxes are indigenous, but that wasn't what was causing stress. They were too spirited, but that wasn't the barrier for them being able to play. They were not living with their family. They were living in, in with a surrogate caregiver, but that, you know, that wasn't the barrier. There wasn't any food in the fridge. That wasn't the barrier. The, the caregivers, one of them had cancer. But that wasn't the barrier. The barrier was they wanted to pass their science test tomorrow. Right. Yep. And they didn't, they didn't understand, you know, a rel, you know, it was hard work for me to get them through their grade six science. Right. A lot of them struggle <laughs> with that, but as soon as we got them feeling better, then they were better. And, and so kids have so many, so many silos we put them in or whatever. And, negative and positive and you know and you know for some of our kids being middle class living in a community like i live in and being a hockey player is a siloed barrier that you put in right yeah. um, but kids have so many different communities that they can belong to and the kids with a, a bigger support network are the kids that do better because they're willing to take chances and they're willing to to challenge themselves they're willing to test each other they're willing to ask questions they're willing to ask for help so we're, we're just trying to build that safety network around them you called and got grumpy, Rob, earlier today, and I am grumpy. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I, I think this is what, uh, you know, it feels like to, to, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, what's the word uh, when you wake up the next morning after being drunk? Um, I'm <laughs> yeah, hungover. I feel hungover. As a guy who just I, spent time in Dublin and Belfast, yeah. I can tell you that I know what that yeah, means. Yeah, hungover. Not, not only with the kids in camp, the days outside of camp. Yeah, I don't drink, and God bless. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. my decision. That's all. So I've never been drunk, but this yeah. I feel hungover today because it's been a yeah. busy weekend. So I'm I'm pissed with institutions. Yeah. I really am. Yeah. And we were having this conversation. So do me the favor of telling this story because it it it, it it's the best, and it's a hockey story. Yes, but it's really not. It's about institutions versus doers. Tell us the story of Juma. Oh, geez. Okay. I hope your listeners are settled in for the long haul. Um, so in Edmonton, our second year, I think we were there. This this kid shows up. Um, so person of color is black. And this is only important as you hear as this story goes through. Yep. Came from uh, 
refugee community in, or sorry, a refugee camp in Tanzania. He had lived his whole life in a refugee camp. Probably all of us can imagine what those look like, or, you know, you've heard the stories, but nobody should live in a refugee camp, especially not, not a children. Kid. It, yeah. Not children. It's scary. It's dangerous. Every, every conceivable bad thing that a human can do to a person that they have authority over happens. Right. So Juma had showed up just one week before the start of the school year. And, Ju and Juma got there. He came with his aunt and then, and then Juma's sister. And one of the challenge, one of the, the, the challenges for refugees coming over, I'm not going to speak like I'm an expert. I'm just going to tell you the stories I heard it from Juma and the people that know him is at the time when his aunt came over, her name came up in the lottery and she brought what amounts to her niece and nephew as dependents because they claimed that Juma's mom and grandma died. That was the only way that they could separate the family. Mm -hmm. Mom was happy to see her kids go because she knew what the opportunity in Canada might mean. And this is a story of a kid who took advantage of his opportunity. Um, anyways, so he comes over, shows up at school and right away, how do I try out for this team, this team? Like he wants to do everything. He's a grade five. They did the Terry Fox run on the second day of school. And Ju the only size shoes they had in Juma's size were work boots. You know, when kids land in a new country, they, they're given what people have to give them in the moment. Yeah. So he, work boots, like literally steel-toed work boots. They do, they, you know, the, the go for the Terry Fox run goes off. They didn't even set up the finish line. And Juma's... And that's the noise because he's running in steel toe boots, crosses the finish line, and says, can I go again, right? So they realized they had a kid with, with athletic ability in front of them. And then he heard about kids in his school talking about hockey and he saw our poster on the wall. So he asked, like, how do I get into that? So they phoned and of course we just said, yes. Like, sure, this is, this is a yes. And Drew was one of those kids that hits the ice and he's running on skates. But by the third ice time, He's skating. Like you can see, we've all seen it. That kid who just has mm -hmm. that natural ability. So very quickly, he started grinding us about playing organized hockey. And which we should point out is heroes is not organized hockey. Heroes is not right? organized hockey. You're not going to play in a league. You're not going to win championships. You're not even going to wear matching socks. Yep. Never mind team outfit apparel and all this stuff. Yep. So, but you know, Juma was with an aunt who, who was just living off of, social assistance while she waited to get in school. She was highly motivated and mm -hmm. going to do her part, but time, time is a real factor for our rep, for refugees to come over. It's not like there's a place in university waiting for the next day to retrain. So no money, no transportation, all this kind of stuff. So like Juma, we just got to go with heroes for right now. Maybe we can build out a plan to get you into it because what we don't want is a kid to try it and have it taken away. If we're going to build a plan for them to play, it's got to be sustainable. So, but then he was getting too good for our program in the sense of he was much better than everybody else and our program wasn't challenging him. But we're going, how are we going to get this kid there? And one of our volunteers says, I'll do it. And I said, Mark. well, Mark, yeah, Mark, his name is Mark Milder, one of the most yeah. wonderful human beings. He, incredible. And I said, Mark, we're not just talking about like the first week of tryouts, we're talking every practice, every game. He goes, I'll do it. And I remember I said to him, what if he gets good? He goes, yeah. I'll do it. So Mark is, is not married, doesn't have his own kids. So he had the time to be able to do it. So Juma goes, so this is, and I'm going to use the terminology of the time because this is what it was. So Bantam tryouts. Yep. So this is his first year playing organized hockey. He goes to Bantam tryouts. So we had prepped him, you know, might end up on Bantam four or five. It's okay, Juma, you'll make some friends. He was the last cut for Bantam AA and he plays Bantam community one, right? And had a great year, was playing, and he developed a lot. He had a great coach there, developed him a lot as a player. 
Um, you know, I think like it is in a lot of community hockey, some of the greatest development coaches are in that community level by choice. They just don't want to be in the organized stuff. So, but now this is where the fun starts, unfortunately. And Juma was doing his part in school. Um, it was also pretty evident that the 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 age we thought Juma was is not the age he was at this point. And it's it's not uncommon for refugees and newcomers, well, refugees especially, come over without birth certificates or any documentation. Um, you know, those systems are not robust. And mm-hmm. you know, you live in a refugee camp; they're not making sure you take your birth certificate with you. Yeah. So it was. It, it, they really make a best guess of how old the child is, and they assign that birth date, and that's what everybody works from. But you can see physically, he might have been a little older. I mean, I got to be honest with you, right? Yeah. Anyways, so then he goes to bed. So he says, "Kev, I'm going to try out for Bantam AAA." Okay, Juma, you know now you're playing real high level hockey. Year two of organized hockey. Year two right? of organized hockey. Yeah. Probably won't, probably won't happen for you, buddy. But you know, good. I'm proud of you for trying out. Phone rings late one night. It's Mark Milner's number. Uh, Kev, Juma made a Bantam AAA. You're kidding me, Mark. No, and we had paid his, Juma's fees the year before. We knew we were making this commitment. Mm-hmm. We weren't counting on this, but we problem solved it. Um, it's going to be because the, the fees jump at that point. Yeah, it's going to be 15 grand, and it's got to be paid by Friday. Okay, so we we problem solved that one. Heroes found some money. We found some other donors. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty easy story to tell. Sure. Um, this is at a time when you and I are also both working in the saddle dome with right. the flames. Yep. I was at my little side gig with the equipment staff and you were doing yep. media. And so a few days after I find out Juma makes triple I get this call from Mark again. Um, Juma needs Minnesota wild color pants, gloves, and helmet. And if he doesn't have them by the weekend, he can't play in the preseason game. Okay. Just so happens Minnesota wild are in town. So I go to their equipment guys and the warrior, uh, sales representative happened to be there too. So like, have I got a story for you guys? And I tell them, and how do they say no? Even if right. they wanted to say no, how do they say no? Right. So they go into their spare equipment bag and pull out. And this is when Zach Prize was a stud in the NHL. Yep. Zach Prize's spare pads, his spare gloves, his spare helmet. It's got Prize's name written all over it. You know, Juma's going to look like a king. And uh, and then they said, oh, well, we're going, we're, we go up to Edmonton tonight. We play the Oilers tomorrow. So we'll leave it at the front desk of the hotel. So the Wild have stepped up for this kid. They probably don't even remember doing it. Mark goes and picks up the stuff. Juma's got to practice on Thursday night. I get this phone call. Coach needs to talk to you. Coach gets on the phone. So um, Prize was a warrior. He wore warrior pants gloves. That that was his deal. Yep. Um, We're a Bauer team. We're not a warrior team. I said, what are you talking about? The coach is like a 27-year-old guy who played junior B and takes it way too seriously. He says... You win as a team, you lose as a team. It's all about the team. And, um, you know, if one guy stands out because he's wearing different gear, it's going to stand out. I said, I hate to break it to you. Juma's going to stand out on your team. Like, Juma, how many Tanzanians have you got, right? He said, I'll let him play in the preseason game with that stuff. But if he doesn't have Bauer, he can't play in the when the when the real games start on, on Wednesday. Nothing go, against Bauer. Nothing, nothing against, against Bauer. Bauer. This isn't a Bauer issue. This nope. is a human issue. Yep. So... I say to him, fine. I'm pretty sure you could tell me that there's a store where I can go get all the Bauer stuff Juma needs. He goes, yeah, go to whatever the sporting. I won't say the sporting good place. Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't complicit in this. It's about this guy. Yeah. So Mark says, I'll go get it. Well, wouldn't you know it, the Southside Athletic Club, Minnesota Wild colored hockey equipment package is $2,000 for pants, helmet, and gloves because it's got to be all the high-end stuff, right? 
So now we're into another two grand for Juma, but how do you say no at this point? So it was really fun to phone the Minnesota Wild and say, where do I send Zach Brise's stuff? It's not good enough for this coach in Edmonton. Anyways, Juma plays. The the type of equipment he wore had a massive difference on the, the team standing there. You know, it made all the difference in his, oh, sure. yeah. his development. I found out later that the coach got a $250 kickback on each set they sold. So this is what it was all about, right? Yep, anyway. institutional. Yep. So next year comes, and now this is the old minor midget, major midget era. Kevin, I'm trying out for minor midget AAA. Juma, this might be where the dream dies, buddy. It's okay, because now you're stepping another one. Whatever you make is whatever you make. Yeah, Kev, don't worry about it. Two weeks later, Kev, he made minor midget AAA. Um, it's going to be in year seven, three. Year right? three. Yep. Going to be 17 grand this year, and they wear Toronto Maple Leafs colored stuff. So now this equipment isn't good enough. Now Juma's 17,000. Oh, and then the side note to this, and I apologize to people who don't like long stories. This is a long one. The sidebar to this is Juma had no passport or um, immigration documentation. So anytime they left Canada to go to a tournament, he couldn't go. Um, and everybody knows that going to away going to away tournaments is absolutely part of the hockey experience. Absolutely. But when I was a kid playing whatever the AAA equivalent was, that meant going to Kelowna. These teams are going to Arizona. Arizona, and yeah. all this stuff. So yeah. Juma's missing out on all this. We didn't have to pay for tournaments, I guess, is my saving grace. So worked with the guys at the Flames. They hooked him up with Leaf stuff. And uh, fortunately, the, the brand didn't matter. So he had CCM helmet and Warrior pants. Anyways, didn't matter. So Juma plays minor midget AAA. Then he tells me he's going to try out for major midget AAA. So stupid me, I have the conversation. Oh, and he had been invited to the WHL uh prospects camp down here in calgary mark brought him down year, year three, three. Um, like this thing just gets better and better right so mark takes him to the first day and it's the fitness testing and i told you juma was probably a little bit older than we thought he was this kid went like when you put on one of those dry fit t-shirts you're going oh like this is like this guy had the physique right so the first test in like they rotate everybody through the fitness testing first one is that jump where they hit the fan you know to measure the height Juma goes up over the top and his hand goes over and reaches the other side. He thought you had to reach over the top to push the fan. So they had to go find a, a way to measure how high he jumps. He kicked everybody's ass in the physical testing part. Like he was, everybody was looking at him going, Oh, right. I'm sure there were scouts going, if this kid can skate, yep. we found something here. Unfortunately, because Juma, this is only his third year of play. You know, when you get to that level, the fact that he was fast and could react well didn't help against guys who, so he, you know, this, this is, this is actually where it starts to come apart for him at a hockey level. He was the, he, he killed everybody in the fitness testing. He was probably quite honestly the lowest ranked skater. So that was, you know, yeah. that was where the WHL thing kind of wasn't good. And we didn't, you know, he wasn't expecting it. It was just a chance for him to skate when you're a kid with no money and no resources and somebody's going to give you free ice and free workouts and a guy's going to drive you from Edmonton to Calgary, you take it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, goes to major, major AAA tryouts. We have the whole conversation, but I wasn't really serious about it. So I'm like, he's probably going to make it. Like he keeps proving me wrong. So the phone rings and I go, okay, here's the call. It's going to be 25,000 bucks. Kev, I didn't make it. They want me to go play midget double A. Juma, that's, that's okay, buddy. Lots of guys have done great things in midget double A, but I played midget double A. Lots of guys have gone on to do other things too. I'm going to quit hockey, Kev. And so I go into that Juma and you, you know, heroes don't quit we, you know like this kind of stuff mm -hmm. he goes, no 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 and he's trying to interrupt me but i'm 
Yeah, you're the yeah. old man rant thing, right? I'm lecturing the kid. Yeah. And then I remember it. He says, Are you done? I said, Yeah. He goes, I just got a letter yesterday from Rugby Canada. They invited me to join the national development program. And I'd really like to do that instead. <laughs> well, well, of course he did, right? Again, no citizenship and actually wasn't a Canadian. Like he, yeah. you know, wasn't legally a Canadian. So probably shouldn't have been invited. So, and I'm sitting there going, Oh, this is great. I just got to buy this kid a pair of shoes. This is all I needed to hear. Well, rugby's rugby actually even more of a country club sport than hockey. It ended up being more expensive. But um, so that's what Juma did. And is so, you know, my major, major double A or triple A year, years, you're basically grade 11 and 12. So he played rugby, he'd go to school, he'd train. And then Rugby Canada trained out on Vancouver Island. So he'd go out and train there. And uh, it was the most expensive pair of shoes I've ever bought. Um, but like to jumpstart's credit, they had never funded a high performance athlete anymore. They jumped in. Other donors, I hear the story, they wanted to help this yep. kid. Yep. Um, but he still didn't have citizenship. And I told it, Brian Burke was on the board of Rugby Canada one time. And I told him this story one time. I said, you got this kid who, like, have you noticed he fakes injuries every time he goes? Like, I felt bad, right? But we finally, I say we, us and the Boys and Girls Club in Edmonton, been working really hard to get Juma his citizenship. Finally, he got it. And two days before he graduated high school, I went to a citizenship ceremony. He left two days after he graduated high school to go to Fiji, New Zealand, and Australia to play rugby. And when you think about it, a kid who grew up in a refugee camp in Tanzania basically was confined to his community in Edmonton, did, took full advantage of sport. Again, great marks in school. By this time, he was a peer mentor at Heroes, like the nicest kid in the world. He was the kid that you would be okay yep. if your daughter brought home. You see that happen for him. And that is that is him taking advantage of every opportunity given to him. And he did it. So he played on the rugby sevens team, national team. Um, and then a couple years later, Kev, I'm going to quit rugby. Juma, like we just got your citizenship. You just did this. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. I got in university. That was always his goal. So sport went away, went to school. He just finished law school in Birmingham, England. Thank you. He's coming back to do, because he did it over in Europe, he has to do one more year at the University of Toronto. He's basing his accommodations on where he's closest to a hero's rink because he wants to volunteer. He's one year away from, and his, his goal is he wants to be an immigration lawyer because he wants to make it easier for people with immigration issues to tell the truth, to, to come with easy pathways, all these sorts of things. He wants to give the next room of the opportunity to have it a little bit easy, easier than he did. Um, but all of these things, like, Part of the reason it took long to get citizenship, we had his application in and then the government went on strike. And what I learned in that time is when they go on strike, they destroy all the applications in process, ostensibly from a security issue. Well, if you don't have one birth certificate, you don't have two. <laughs> so we, it, it created Starts a lot all of, over again, right? Created a lot of work. And, you know, the only other small piece of this story I'll tell, which is some people will will get this, some won't. Um, I was out in Toronto. My phone rings and it's a guy from Hockey Canada. He says, Kev, I got to put you on speakerphone. And Hockey Canada has never funded us. We're not part of them. Nope. But we had we had cordial relationships with them. Sure. Um, our kids are not considered hockey players by Hockey Canada's current processes. But you're on speakerphone. We're at our national meeting and all the executive here. I said, okay. They go, tell us about Juma Misi. And I said, why am, why, why, why am I telling you about Juma Misi? Well, when he made that minor midget AAA team, two parents complained and they said, there's no way he's the age he is. He's only there because he's a person of color. Like, 
all this kind of stuff. And so I, it's not that I lied, but I said, government of Canada says he's this age. The school board says he's this age. So I treat him as this age. And yes, he's a physical beast. Yes, he's, he's the athlete that everybody wants to be. But what do you want me to do? Like, but people had complained about, and you don't want to say they saw a black kid make the team and they want, but, but this was saw a black who, kid who made the team. They, but you know, there had to have been a reason why. And it was the two parents of the kids who were the last cuts who complained. They of course. Told it is. Of course. So, you know, it's all, the, it's all this stuff. And each of them on their own seems like a minor, but Juma had every barrier put up along the way. And, and because we had, we had knocked down the first one, which is you want to play hockey, you can play hockey, gave him the courage to try and kick down everyone after it because he had people standing beside him. Knew it, that, that you knew would stand beside him, and that's at the end of the day what programs like Heroes are about. That's about building confidence and resiliency and self-esteem and all that. It's about being able to do that stuff. And every kid deserves to believe that they're capable of anything. And sometimes it's something as simple as letting them play. I love the story. I, I need the story told. It's to me when I get frustrated about institutional versus doers. It's the Juma story. It always is that you know. Why can't we support the kid? Why do we have to put barriers? Why does he have to wear Bauer if we found a way to get him into Warrior? Uh, oh, I get it. That one I was understand. the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh, I, it, hockey's it, barriers, and then you talk about some a-hole creating a reason for yeah. a kid not to play. Right? Yeah. Right. Oh, guess who just texted, by the way? Juma. Juma. <laughs> his ears <laughs> must have been burning. Just wanted to check in when Hero starts in Toronto. That's his text. There you go. There you yeah. go. You're the best, buddy. I appreciate this. I will see you up in St. Albert, but thanks for spending some time with us today. Looking forward to it. There you go. Kevin Hodgson, everybody. Ireland, Edmonton, Northern Alberta. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, sport is the great equalizer. It's intended. It, it's, it's a key part of education. It's a key part of mental health. It's the key part and why we have built these systems that want to keep kids out. Um, or why we prioritize the wrong importance and values. So anyway, thanks to Kevin. He joined us courtesy of Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com. Don't forget, their Labor Day sale, world-famous Labor Day sale, begins next Tuesday, August 29th, and runs through September 4th. By the way, three locations opening August 29th, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, and Bow Ridge Road Northwest. Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. We mentioned it's a spectacular show today for some reason, uh, so we are going to take some comments. Uh, Jack is going to, and we don't normally do this, this is the the domain perhaps of, of the uh, barn burner guys and other shows. I, I don't really normally get in there, but if there's some sports questions or reasonable questions, Jack fire away, what do you got? We got lots of flame stuff. So hopefully sure. You're prepared. We'll All start right. Here with rod hot hockey. Actually, I'll bring this up on the screen. Okay. Share your favorite memory story from the SO three on three pond hockey tournaments back in the day. Okay. So, um, one of the first things I got introduced to here in Calgary was the Flames alumni in the SO3 on three pond hockey tournament, which they used to run at the corral. And the way they used to kick it off every year was, um, they had a media game against the alumni. So it was a great opportunity for the alumni to kick the crap out of Eric Francis, basically is what it came down to. But Perry Berzan said, Hey, Rob, uh, we need a goalie for this. Could you do play-by-play play. if we gave you a microphone could you do play-by-play play? and uh and you know during this game and i said sure so that's where the talking goalie started so we the first time we ever did it was outside uh downtown at the olympic plaza 
Um, and then everybody thought it was a hoot. So they brought me in and they said, uh, we're going to, you know, we'll put you on the bench. We'll have you back up and, and, you know, you won't have to play. Um, but can you do the, the play by play? And I said, sure. So I was in full gear and I was, you know, doing the play by play of the game and everybody could hear it on the, the, in, in the, in the uh, corral. And then Rick Wamsley got hurt in between games and I had to play. So that is literally when I got in there against former NHLers and uh, I had my mismatched equipment and all of that stuff. And I'll never forget it. Um, was playing for the Flames alumni and Mike Krushelniski, I believe, was playing for the uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, alumni, uh, sorry, the Toronto Maple Leafs alumni. And he came down and he took a hard slap shot and I somehow gloved it and and at the same time said what an incredible save by me as I go around the world with it and you could just see the look on Krushelniski's face like what the hell is going on who is this talking like the players didn't even know who was talking Al Coates was on the bench of the Flames alumni he didn't know who was talking we lost that game by a goal um, but that's probably my favorite memory then uh, during the lockout in 04 that was probably the best tournament and I'll remember I actually picked up a couple of wins in that tournament if you can believe it uh playing for the flames alumni german titoff was on that team um yeah it was great but I, i'll never forget um lanny mcdonald took a slap shot and hit me in the pad and it hurt my knee he hit me so hard and then the other one was uh, brian sutter was playing for the st louis blues and uh the puck we were up and again, it was really starting to piss some of the NHL players off that this fat kid was doing play-by-play and winning hockey games. And he speared me like I've never speared, been speared before. The puck was underneath me. He was trying to get it. So, yeah, I have nothing but great memories of the SO3-on-3, three three, which was Perry Berezan and Colin Patterson. And, and it was really the kickoff and the way that Kids Sport Calgary got started through the funding through that. And uh, it has become a legacy piece. But uh, what a fun tournament to be part of. This is from Nolan on Instagram. All right. What young Flames players do you see having the biggest impact on the team this season? So what young players this season having impact? I think it's it's Pelche. Uh, I'm not is that is that the kind of answer you want though? I mean, or, or are you looking for somebody who had because maybe we, a surprise. A surprise? Yeah, like Coronado is he going to make the team? I think Coronado's I I'm counting on Coronado being here. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I think Coronado is a lot further ahead than some are giving him credit for. We'll see. Um, but I, I will defer always to Dustin Wolf. I think Dustin Wolf's a very special hockey player. I the, the thing is, he said this year. I don't know if Dustin... I think Dustin Wolf will get games this year. I think he'll make a, an impact, but that actual impact will come. But um, the, the other guy... I really want to see the Poirier kid, the defenseman too, right? Don't know. I don't think he's going to play in the NHL, but he, he had a really good development last year and, and a lot of people really excited about him. So I, I want to kind of see what goes on there. This guy's kind of forgotten about lately, but sure. thoughts on Adam Rzitska and does he fit into this team? Will he be in the lineup? So Adam Rzitska, yes. Um, it, uh, he had that great stretch, right? Like, it, it, you know, I love the data now we have and the access to numbers. And there was one period of time where in, in 10 games, he was averaging whatever it was, like three quarters of a point or something like that. And, and I think everybody looked at him and said he was a point producer. Um, I, I really, I and I know this sounds as a like a criticism. I'm not sure how much he generates as, as compared to how much he finishes. Watching him in the American League 
Matty Phillips just put the puck on his stick and he finished. And Matty Phillips got him the puck and he finished. Um, I think he's a big body as a, I believe, a fourth round pick. Uh, when the Flames drafted him, they considered him a project. Um, I don't think he's forgotten about necessarily by the team, but I am very curious to see what Ryan Huska has to do to get him going. He, he was there. And then all of a sudden he was an afterthought, wasn't he? When Walker Dewar came up and he was just an afterthought. And it it goes back to that whole conversation we had last year about, you know, developing young players at the NHL level. Um, I don't know him well enough to know what his mental makeup is. My hope is that the kid comes in pissed off. My hope is that the kid comes in knowing that he's got to be more assertive, but the one thing I will not criticize Daryl Sutter for is I don't think he took him out of the lineup because he didn't like kids. I think he played himself out of the lineup. You need to be consistent at the NHL level. He needs to show me that he can be consistent. Who do you think will be the captain of the Flames and who do you want to be the captain of the Flames? Backland I want. And I and I I wonder if he won't be the captain. Boy, did you see a lot of this Mackenzie Weger stuff? Yeah. A lot of people like lots of people hyping that up. Lots of people like, and I don't think that's a bad choice. I think you know, you got some tenure there. It makes a lot of sense. Backlund has put in the time. Backlund loves this team, loves the city, loves the logo. Yes, yes, yes. I know he was in the in the Swedish newspaper saying we'll wait and see and all of that. That's just common sense. That all that is. That's just good business. But Michael Backlund's ingrained in this community, supports three different charities in this community. He has uh, worked and cobbled at the feet of Jerome Ginla at Mark Giordano. Um, I think he should be the captain. But it's a two-part question. I think it, he should be the captain. I'm going to go with, I wonder if Mackenzie Weger isn't the captain because you have him for four more years after this. But I think both are both are good choices. Both, I think it was an absolute shame. I, I just think it's a mistake not to have a captain. Yeah. And and Backlund was acting as that last year. I don't care what anybody says. He was the de facto one of the de facto captains on this team. Yeah, here's a bit of a tough one. All right. Have you had any interactions with Murray Edwards? If so, what was he like? Uh yeah, I have. Um, Murray is. Um, Murray's a guy that would pop his head into the hot stove lounge, listen to everything. Um, would challenge, you know, a couple times I said something and he, he came back and, and so you don't think this, or you don't think that, um, I, I don't, I've interviewed Murray once I interviewed Murray on the expansion of the, um, what at the time was Centennial arena, which has become flames arenas. Um, he was there on behalf of the foundation and we talked about that. Um, Murray's a bright, bright guy um, that is very passionate about this team and and very passionate about opinions. Um, yeah, I that was the beauty of the hot stove. I know I'm. I, I guess I sound like I'm kind of ducking the question, but that was the beauty of the hot stove lounge was we just left the door open and and the best conversations were always the conversations as people walk by the door. And I remember I walked, I ran into Murray. Uh, I don't know if he mind would mind me telling this story. I hope not. You remember when uh, uh, Tree signed um, big defenseman? 
after the trade deadline. Used to be in Philly. Uh, I apologize. I'm, I'm a little bit slow today. Uh, and he ended up bringing him in the next year. Nicholas Grote. Uh, anyway. Uh, but but he signed him after the the trade deadline, and it was just it was adding a body that couldn't play in the playoffs, and it made no sense to me. And I said it makes no sense to me. I don't know why you do this. And some some people thought, oh well, he's bringing leadership and all these. And then that's no. I mean, if you can't play in the playoffs, why is he here? And I ran into Murray Edwards on the way out, and he said, so you don't like the signing? <laughs> so, you know that that's my interaction with Murray. I know enough to say hello to Mr. Edwards and, and I respect the business acumen for sure. Favorite memory calling games on TV. Um, favorite memory on TV. Um, well, I mean, you know, the gun going off was not my favorite. Let's start there and work backwards. You know what? I'll, I'll say this. Um, Mika Kiprasov's last game at home against Anaheim. He almost had the shutout, one three one. I knew, other people knew. I think the fans knew. I mean, it, it, nobody really said it, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think his last game, and um, I wasn't very good at that job. I wish I was better at that job. But the one thing I did do is I laid out for a bit towards the end and just let the fans take it. I'm really proud of that. I like to think at least I had enough common sense. Um, I, I'll give you my favorite memory. So October 23rd of 2008 was the first game I ever did in Nashville. It was a pay-per-view game. Um, Charlie Simmer was my color analyst. Um, and I, you know, I had been given this opportunity. John Shannon was doing some consulting for the NHL. So he had worked with me. I was working with Carlo Petrini, one of my dear friends. I was working with a bunch of guys. I love Peter Stewart and others. Um, so this was, you know, and I was in Nashville and we were doing this game and uh, I'm standing there and I got the microphone and uh, Charlie and I are going to do a, our stand up to begin. And there's no real booth in Nashville. It's just a kind of a table. So we had turned around. So we were, you could see the arena behind us and we were there and they said, okay, 30 seconds, you know, we'll count you guys in and I'm ready. I know, I know the questions I'm going to ask Charlie, uh, but it's my first game. It is my first game. And so I got the big dumb grin on my face and everything like that. And they said 15 seconds and, um, Okay, no problem. You know, ready to go. I know what I'm going to try. And they said, okay, 10, 9. And as soon as they hit 9, my nerves just went like that. Just went like that. Rob, what's wrong? Nothing. Do we? No, no, go. 3, 2. And I just switched my hand, put the microphone in this hand, and I had to push it against my body and do this. And my other hand, I, it was just my nerves. It was just my nerves. And... I, I didn't feel nervous. I wasn't worried about it. It was nothing but involuntary. Now, what I remember about that game was that uh, Nashville was up, I think, 3-1, and then Jerome McGinley scored a hat trick, and the Flames won that game 5-3. Uh, so that was probably the highlight. There's kind of a similar question. What are some of the most difficult parts about being a TV play-by-play -play guy that people, fans wouldn't realize? Voices in your head. Voices in your yeah, head. people in your head. I right till the end, I always struggled with who's talking to me about what. And um, you know, some producers were really good. Uh, I love Larry Isaac. 
love, 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 love Larry, Larry Isaac. And I, I work with some really good crews. Um, but I, for some reason, struggle a little bit, especially at the end of games and the way we had to do them. Buzzer goes, final thought, here's the rollout, say something funny, throw it to Flame Central, boom. And I just could not, again, I I, I have no, I, I, I know exactly why I'm not there. I just struggled with some of the technical parts of it. And to me, it was, um, I'll ne- never forget, never, ever forget. Uh, the first time the Winnipeg Jets came to town and uh, we're calling the game, Charlie and I, and uh, uh, two guys got into a fight in the lower bowl on the camera side and they were rolling down the stairs and, you know, it's the cameras panning up. I'm not watching the camera. I'm watching the play, but now the play comes up and the guys are rolling down the stairs fighting. And all I hear in my head is don't say anything. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Um, you know, and, and I think the other one where probably what cost me in the, the long run was that um, those weren't really good teams. And um, the, the Flames might get two shots in a first period. Um, and it's like, you guys got to, you got to bring it. You got to bring it. You got to bring it. And we tried. And, and I always struggled because I was criticized for being too uh, excited about home goals. And then the internal criticism from some on the team side was I was more excited when the visitors scored. Peter Marr was my barometer. Peter Marr called the goal as a goal. Just did. Now, the Flames goals were a little louder, sure. But sometimes you had to stop and wait to hear from Pete who scored that goal because it was a big play. It was a big play. And we were, you know, we had that whole conversation here not that long ago about how broadcasts have changed and things like that. Um you know, I, I really wanted to, you know, call games 60-40. I think the teams preferred a different way, not the Flames. I, I'm not saying I ever got any pressure from the Flames, but I if, if I did, it went through the sports net and it came back to me. Um, Mark Giordano scored an overtime goal just before Christmas. I think it was an October, uh, December 22nd game against St. Louis. And if you go back and you watch, I think that's 2014, uh, 13. Um, if you listen to it, I lose my freaking mind, but that's who I was. That's what I was. Um, yeah. So hopefully that answers the question. Who were your favorite broadcasters growing up? Peter Marr and Rod Phillips. So the two radio guys in, in Alberta during the battle of Alberta, Peter, and I say this with love in my heart, uh, Rod Phillips was the scoregasm guy. Like, you know, with Gretzky and stuff. If you go back and listen to the the 1260 CFRN calls of of the Oilers in the in their heyday, like Rod Phillips was losing his mind. And and it was, I, you know, it was it was incredible. Like it just sucked you in. Um, you know, Peter Marr was more measured. He was different, but I was, I grew up in a province that had cool weather that allowed you to listen to skips. So I could listen to both games. I could listen, living in Edmonton, I could listen to Calgary games. And when I came down here for my family, I could listen to the Edmonton game. It was, it was brilliant. So from that, uh, and then getting to know both of them, uh, Rod was a true gentleman. And I hard pressed to think of anybody who's had a bigger influence on my life than Peter Marr. On a television side, Danny Galvin. 
I go all the way back to Danny Galvan, my uh, Hockey Night in Canada days. You watch Bugs Bunny and then the, the Hockey Night in Canada single game came on and Dally, Danny Galavan, you know, in my own world, not that I thought a lot about law and order, Danny Galavan, judges, politicians, these were the people of, of stature. These were the people with voice. This is the people who knew things. Um, so yeah, def, definitely Danny, Danny Galavan on television. And I, I mean, I have a great appreciation. Lou, I'm a big, huge Lou fan. I've always been a Lou fan. I followed Lou and Estevan. I followed Lou here. Um, I love him. Um, I, I think Lou's great. Uh, Rick, Rick Ball's awesome. Rick's really good. He's, you know, he's, I wish I could be half as good as Rick Ball was, is I, I wish I was half as good as Rick Ball is. Um, and then I, I you know, I, I like the characters too. Like, I, I think there was, you know, just some really good, uh, uh, Dean Brown in Ottawa, um, still, but you know, I, I was very fortunate. I got to meet Mike Lang and, and I think the world of Mike Lang, but the big two for me were, were Rod Phillips and Peter Moore. Final question for you. Sure. What are your expectations for the flames this season? I think they're going to surprise people. Um, I think the youth is going to be good. I still think there's a there, there. I think the Uyghurs and the Lindholms and the Cadres, I think the Huskas voice, I think, you know, you heard Peter Labardi's talk about it. I don't, I, I should be any kind of conversation. I should be disqualified about talking about Conroy because he's a, he's a friend of mine and I think the world of him, but I think it's going to make a difference. And I also think I've been here long enough to know there's a Jekyll and Hyde and a, a rhythm to this team and they need to break it. It can't be good. year bad. You're good. You're bad. You're good. You're bad. You're good. You're bad. You're uh, I think the Pacific's tough. I don't, I think we would all agree in that. I think uh, Markstrom can play better than he did. Um, but to me, we'll know real quick, we'll know real quick, um, if they solve their problems within the locker room, um, we'll know real quick. And I, I love the line from Mackenzie Weger. I, I, I don't, I don't care who you are. I just want you to be, want to be here. That's what I want. I, I like what I'm seeing from Huberdo, except that I wish I was seeing it from somebody other than the team. God bless Brendan Parker does a great job and God bless, you know, Ed who went and shot it and, and Carlo, they put it together. It's fantastic. But the team, you know, the team has a responsibility to, to, to kind of, you know, show this guy in a good light. I, I need that to be real. Um, and if it is real, then I think, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think. I don't think it's a fit. I don't think it's falling off the cliff. If it's falling off the cliff, then they've got a bigger problem than the coach and the GM from last year. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. So I, I expect them to be a playoff team. I think if they're not a playoff team, then it's a disappointing season. That's it. That's all. That was easy. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate Kevin coming on. Jack for doing everything he's done. We didn't get a chance. Can we just show one of those videos from Belfast? We never did get into it with Kev, but I got you to download them. I just, I love how the game is universal. So little Beyonce on the way to the rink. Hockey players are hockey players, right? Doesn't matter if it's, Calgary, Toronto, Halifax, Jean Vier, Belfast. Um, 
it's about having fun and uh i just i loved it so um i guess that'll do it for us uh thanks to everybody who uh joined us today uh thanks to kevin hodgson for all the work he's doing thanks to jack um jack continues to uh work miracles for me as i said it just it was a busy weekend and i never got the guests that i was looking for and i we didn't panic jack never panicked and uh i like this show actually uh Friday and not that I like every show. I like most of them, but not every show Friday and Monday, Danny Austin's in, he will be hosting the program. I'm back with you a week from Friday, September 1st, Brett Sutter, the Brett Sutter will join us in studio, uh, between now and then take care of each other. Will you? And, uh, be, be nice. And we'll talk soon. Thanks everybody. Two sides to every coin. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.